Okay, thank you for coming back. Today we're going to continue reading through Sutta Nipata, uh, particularly the second half or second presentation on Ratna Sutta, which is the jewel discourse or treasures. Uh, last time we went through the first half of it. Uh, today I'm going to conclude it. Um, and by the way, Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, and I hope everybody is settling into the new year 2020. Unfortunately, war in the Middle East has started, and uh, I expect it to get a whole lot worse for all sides uh, before it resolves or gets better. And I'd say the wild cards are Russia, China. But uh, this is seems to be something that, that is unavoidable, and given the nature of the two sides. And... Um, it <laughs> Uh, pray for the best and uh, expect whatever. Um, don't expect the worst, but I would... Um, uh, if one has confusion and concern about Iran and the U.S. and the war and this and that, the best way to handle fear is knowledge, I'd say. And um, look into the facts of the matter. There are many... Not many. <laughs> there are a few excellent sources that, that, that one can find on updates in the Middle East and... Uh, uh, alternative news sites and people who are on the ground and uh, Twitter accounts and things. So the best way to handle fear and doubt and uncertainty is knowledge and information and therefore a concerted um, effort to inform oneself on what's going on and what so-called experts or what uh, people who've been observing geopolitics in the Middle East and all that <clears throat> for decades have to say. So with that said, uh, the first link I'll send, which I've sent before, <clears throat> is uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi's write-up or talks on Sutta Nipata. Uh, it's in the description window, and I'm not going to talk further about it, but it's excellent and very helpful. Uh, beyond that, <clears throat> uh, we have the link from wisdomlib or library.org on Ratna Sutta, which is helpful to refresh ourselves, refresh our memory of it. <clears throat> Wikipedia has a write-up of Ratna Sutta. That's that. And then we've got basically the main page uh, from Tanasaro Bhikkhu, Access to Insight, and then the two links from the translators, Piyadasi and uh, Tanasaro. And uh, you can find that from the main link, and everything's in the description box below. Finally, a link to Sotapanna write-up of Wikipedia, which is enough for now, and I've talked about Sotapanna being the first level of attainment <clears throat> in Buddhism, which differentiates Buddhism, particularly from all the other traditions, in, that, in the nature of what Sotapanna achieves. And so, we'll get into that a little bit more in one of the sections of Ratna Sutta. So, as an overview from, as a, some review from last time, from the Wikipedia page, down in the middle, Ratna Sutta uh, regarding contents. Uh, this is, the, the Ratna is jewel or treasure <coughs> from the term Tri Ratna, Ti Ratna, which means three jewels, or three gems, or three treasures, which is Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And so this sutta 
is about um, the heart of what Buddhism brings to earth, <laughs> what Buddhism is as a teaching. <clears throat> you can call it a religion, but there's no god worship. You can call it a philosophy, but it's profoundly metaphysical. You can call it a mystical doctrine or, or mystical uh, a, a path that includes a deep understanding of paranormal or transcendental or um, a higher dimensional consciousness states, but it's also extremely practical. And so it's not attached to the gaining of higher states. It's attached to freedom from suffering and craving, freedom from ignorance and craving, clinging, therefore dukkha, stress, suffering, pain. Ultimately, as I said, it's about freedom from incarnation in the octave. It's a big deal, Buddhism. And <clears throat> uh, set in context of the raw material, it's extremely useful, as I've said countless times. So we're talking about stanzas or, or verses in Ratna Sutta that explain the nature of the treasures brought to earth by Buddhism, which is the Buddha and what he is, and his teaching the Dhamma, and particularly two aspects of Dhamma, both Nirvana and uh, a certain states of Samadhi that lead to Nirvana, which is basically very much associated with mindfulness. And Buddhism, you know, Buddhist meditation as the praxis or practice of the teaching leading to the goal, Nirvana, freedom from craving and ignorance. Uh, the the unique feature of Buddhist meditation is sati or mindfulness leading to insight and vision and release. And that's very different than meditative techniques that aim for a particular goal associated with um, rarefied states of consciousness, like experience of unity or experience of bliss or out-of-body experience or channeling communication with higher dimensional beings or the capacity to do magic, white or black, like, you know, make things move, or read minds, or <laughs> make materialization, or disappearance, or travel through the air, or whatever. These are siddhis, uh, these are powers. Buddhism is well familiar with them, but considers them not non-essential, non-essential for the goal um, for which, or purpose for which Buddhism was taught, the purpose of Buddha Dhamma, being uh, a real existential liberation. We have some big wind here, and uh, my bamboo tree is creaking because some of these branches are going to break. It's basically a, a four-story bamboo tree, or bamboo grove, or stand of multiple grand bamboo <laughs> trees, that are whatever they're called, that are about four stories high, four or five stories high, um, and it creaks. So it's a creaking situation. Uh, let me jump into um, the review of the translator's introduction, Piyadasi Tara, which we read last week, uh, the nature of this sutta. Uh, here's the link for that, the Piyadasi translation. His note was that the occasion for this discourse, according to the commentary, is as follows... The city of Vishali effect was afflicted by a famine. It caused death, especially to the poor folk. Due to the, pre due to the presence of decaying corpses, 
the evil spirits or lower astral entities began to haunt the city. This was followed by pestilence. So they had famine, non-human beings, and pestilence. Lots of death and misery and hopelessness. Uh, <laughs> hopefully this is not a precursor to the experience of some in 2020 uh, being part of the reason why this just so happens to be where we're at here in this reading ending 2019 into 2020 the 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 bridging the bridge um, in this work or my teaching or my talking for <laughs> youtube channel is ratnasuta which just happens to be a re-emphasizing of the heart of what buddhism is in the jewels or the treasures the gifts that buddhism brings to humanity Buddha Sangha. Uh, in the context of bridging 2019 to 2020, when now a war has started. Um, hopefully, this is not presaging the experiences. Uh, I, it, it seems to be presaging some experience which may be more common six months from now or as we, if this war continues. Plagued by these three fears of famine, non human beings, and pestilence, the citizens sought the help of the Buddha who was living at Rajagraha, Rajgaha, followed by a large number of monks, including Venerable Ananda, his attendant disciple. Buddha came to the city of Vaishali with the arrival of the master. There were torrential rains, which swept away the putrefying corpses. The atmosphere became purified. The city was clean physically, but not yet metaphysically. Thereupon the Buddha delivered the jewel discourse, this is Ratnasutta, to the Venerable Ananda, so he actually spoke it to his disciple, his attendant monk, and then gave him instructions as to how he should tour the city with the Lichavi citizens reciting the discourse as a mark of protection to the people of Vishali. The Venerable Ananda followed the instructions and sprinkled sanctified water from the Buddha's own bowl, own alms bowl. As a consequence, evil spirits were exorcised, right? <laughs> Gautama put a charge into the water. Uh, of his trans-octavic capacity, meaning his capacity to bring intelligent energy from beyond the octave. Uh, if indeed he is one who finished evolution in the 31 planes, seven dimensions, six realms, right? Three worlds, three loka. If we know our Buddhist cosmology integrated with the raw material cosmology and some Alice Bailey, meaning seven-dimensional, we know then that Gautama is really uh, if he is, uh, assuming he is, uh, claim what he claims to be, which I am sure of, um, then um, his capacity to charge water, which has an effect on the astral entities and the astral environment, the metaphysical environment, um, can bring pure light power from beyond the octave, akin to intelligent energy. Then... Uh, Venerable Ananda followed instructions, sprinkled the sanctified water from the Buddha's own bowl. As a consequence, evil spirits were exorcised. The pestilence subsided. And so they were somewhat more free. It's uh, a mosquito. Thereafter, Venerable Ananda returned with the citizens of Vishali to the public hall, where the Buddha and his disciples had assembled. There, the Buddha recited the same jewel discourse to the gathering. So first he said it to Ananda, then he said it to the gathering uh, that came together after Ananda sprinkled the waters. 
let me read through the whole uh, sutta first from Tanisaro and then from Piyadasi, because I think Tanisaro's translation is a little bit better. So that is a link I'll give you here. Uh, everything's on the description text, as you see. Okay, Ratna Sutta, translated as, by uh, Tanisaro. You can even look at the link on uh, dhammatalks.org, not access to insight, which is supposedly an updated or uh, revised translation of the sutta from Tanisaro, which I think is there's not much different than the original on access to insight, but it's useful. So let me just read it through and stop yakking for a moment. Ratna Sutta, translated by Tanisaro Bhikkhu. And this was <coughs> preached first to Ananda and then to the, the whole town. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay. Whatever spirits have gathered here, on the earth, in the sky, may you all be happy and listen intently to what I say. Thus, spirits, you should all be attentive. Show good will to the human race. Day and night they bring offerings, so, being heedful, protect them. Whatever wealth, here or beyond, whatever exquisite treasure in the heavens, does not, for us, equal the Tathagata. This, too, is an exquisite treasure in the Buddha, by this truth may there will may there be well-being. So we're going down from Buddha to Dhamma to Sangha. The exquisite deathless nirvana, ending dispassion, discovered by the Sakyan sage in concentration, there is nothing to equal that Dhamma, the Dhamma of Nibbana. This too is an exquisite treasure in the Dhamma. By this truth may there be well-being. What the excellent awakened one has extolled as pure and called the concentration of unmediated knowing, which is a certain concentration or samadhi, no equal to that concentration can be found. This too is an exquisite treasure in the Dhamma. By this truth may there be well-being. And this phrase, an exquisite treasure in the Dhamma or exquisite treasure in the Buddha, could also be translated as the exquisite treasure of the Buddha, the exquisite exquisite treasure of the Dhamma. Going on, now we get to the Sangha. The eight persons, the four pairs, which are the four levels of attainment and those that are nearby. The eight persons, the four pairs, praised by those at peace. Completed. They, disciples of the well of the one well gone, deserve offerings. What is given to them bears great fruit. This, too, is an exquisite treasure in or as the Sangha. By this truth may there be well-being. Those who, devoted, firm-minded, apply themselves to Gautama's message, on attaining their goal, plunge into the deathless, freely enjoying the liberation they've gained. This, too, is an exquisite treasure in the Sangha. By this truth may there be well-being. An Indra pillar, which is a, a sort of a town, uh, fronts of the certain towns had these massive pillars. An Indra pillar planted in the earth that even the four winds cannot shake, that, I tell you, is like the person of integrity 
who, having comprehended, comprehended the noble truths, sees. This is Satipana, the first level. This, too, is an exquisite treasure in the Sangha. By this truth may there be well-being. Those who have clearly, those who have seen clearly the noble truths, well taught by the one deeply discerning, regardless of what later might make them heedless, this is about Sotapanna only, will come to no eighth state of becoming, meaning only seven rebirths before Nirvana. This too is an exquisite treasure in the Sangha. By this truth may there be well-being. At the moment of attaining sight, one abandons three things. Identity views, uncertainty, uh, it's uncertainty as to Buddha Dhamma Sangha, and any attachment to habits and practices, also called rites and rituals. One is completely released from the four states of deprivation, the four states of woe, hell, hungry ghost, animal, and asura, and incapable of committing the six great wrongs, uh, and the bottom you see that, what they are. This, too, is an exquisite treasure in the Sangha. By this truth may there be well-being. Whatever bad deed one may do, this is again about Satipana, whatever bad deed one may do, in body, speech, or in mind, one, the Satipana, cannot hide it. An incapability ascribed to one who has seen the way, and the Dhamma, or has had first-level awakening of the deathless. This, too, is an exquisite treasure in the Sangha. By this truth may there be well-being. Like a forest grove with flowering tops in the first month of the heat of summer, so is the foremost Dhamma he taught for the highest benefit, leading to unbinding. This, too, is an exquisite treasure in the Buddha. By this truth may there be well-being. Foremost, foremost knowing, foremost giving, foremost bringing, unsurpassed, he taught the foremost Dhamma. This, too, is an exquisite treasure in the Buddha. By this truth may there be well-being. Ended the old, there is no new taking birth. Dispassioned their minds toward future becoming, they, with no seed, no desire for growth, enlightened, go out like this flame. This, too, is an exquisite treasure in the Sangha. By this truth may there be well-being. This is about an Arahan who's finished with uh, burning. Whatever spirits have gathered here on the earth, in the sky, let us pay homage to the Buddha, the Tathagata worshipped by beings human and divine. May there be well-being. Whatever spirits have gathered here on the earth, in the sky, let us pay homage to the Dhamma and the Tathagata worshipped by beings human and divine. May there be well-being. Whatever spirits have gathered here, on the earth, in the sky, let us pay homage to the Sangha, and the Tathagata worshipped by beings human and divine. May there be well-being. <clears throat> so you can see the uh, progression where um, Gautama is speaking this first to Ananda, then to the citizens, and first, initially, um, addressing the non-physical entities. Uh, it's to the degree, I mean, uh, is, he, is he speaking to 
negatively oriented entities? Is he speaking to thought forms? Is he speaking to black magicians? Is he speaking to uh, just lower astral entities that feed off carcasses? Uh, is he speaking to other astral entities who could be helpful called uh, Dharma Dharmapala? Dharmapalas meaning Dharma protectors. Meaning there are astral and higher dimensional beings who love Buddhism. And they are on your side when you love Buddhism too. Love Buddhism meaning putting it into practice, meaning right speech, right action, right livelihood, uh, shila, samadhi, prajna, or morality, harmlessness, concentration, meditative practice, and seeking insight and release. Uh, to the extent that we live that, we're also uh, in harmony with, or known by, seen by, um, protected by somewhat, dharmapalas or higher dimensional Buddhist uh, path adherents, those that non-physical entities, you know, like we looked at the Yaksha ballads, right, the, the previous suttas uh, are related to Alavaka and the other Yaksha, the Yaka, non-physical entities, who basically <laughs> claim to become Buddhist followers uh, upon hearing Gautama's teaching. So there are higher dimensional beings not only in, con in the Confederation 456, uh, but also on the human astral plane, Kamaloka, the subplanes of the third density here, time space, who know Buddhism well, <laughs> who love Buddhism, who love Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And uh, if you want their help, although, you know, it's limited what they can do, uh, but if you uh, end up <laughs> really appreciating and taking to heart and living and practicing Buddhism, uh, they'll be on your side too. And so he first addresses that whole community of metaphysical or non-physical beings and asks them to listen, some of whom are naturally helpful, some of whom uh, were lower and feasting off car carcasses and making trouble, it seems. So show goodwill to the human race. <laughs> Please, uh, don't hurt them. Uh, the first thing he says beyond the uh, kind of uh, exhortation to the non-physical entities to listen up and um, help humans who help you, mm, they bring offerings, so protect them. Uh, and that's part of what was going on here with some kind of offerings, and that is a whole other matter, because metaphysically, you, you know, materialists, scientists, skeptics, atheists, and the whole crew of uh, Charvakas believe that it's a psychological fantasy to imagine that offerings to non-physical entities is real, or meaning has real effect tangibly, physically. But, according to <laughs> this understanding, my understanding, our understanding, hopefully, of what Ra said, the physical and the metaphysical are inseparable, um, yeah, making offerings or having certain relations, certain types of uh, appreciative um, behavior. Behavior in thought, word, and deed, any type. It doesn't have to be ritual offering. Um, appreciative, genuine appreciation <laughs> in mind, in gesture or ritual, and in speech, and in thought towards higher dimensional beings. May you all be well and happy. Um, can neutralize the negatives and, uh, you know, it depends on karma, it's, it's all very case by case, but so, surely 
uh, certain types of um, love light based thought word and deed human mind to higher dimensional or non-physical entities influences them and those that are benevolent um, will be more active to whatever degree they can or should by karmic limitation respecting the law of free will and the negative ones or the thought forms and the low fragmented and even non-ensouled non entities of the astral um, can be warded off to some degree so this is a warding off protective sutta so he first addresses them and the people have some sense of um, uh, needing to correct their conduct and um, make right relation to the non-physical realm to get their help rather than their uh, harm which had been going on after the pestilence and the famine and all the deaths uh, but before uh, after he says that uh, before Gautama gets into any of the details of Buddha Dhamma Sangha um, in what is the third stanza or verse uh, from Piyadasi the point the, the statement in the third verse is whatever treasure there be either here or in the world beyond whatever precious jewel or anything material or form based in the heavenly worlds there's nothing comparable to the Buddha uh, above all material wealth above all um, precious qualities and objects and even states of mind of higher dimensions as well above all that is a Buddha why because he's um, you know, showing the way out of out of all reincarnation. He's showing the way out of the octave or out of all distress. And so, you know, dukkha as distress or stress or dissatisfactoriness, uh, it's a big deal. <laughs> Certainly if you're suffering, you can appreciate it. If you're not suffering, uh, maybe you're not paying enough attention to the quality of experience, but in all sukkah is dukkha. Meaning,while there's some experience of sukkah, meaning happiness, pleasure, well-being. Yeah, sure. But if you really up the light of attention to the present moment, to body, mind, spirit, to current experience, you'll find dukkha, for sure. And um, that's just a fact of life. One of the three marks, obviously. And and the reason that Gautama is elevated above all human and transhuman or metaphysical higher dimensional qualities of mind and states and objects and possessions and uh, uh, wonders uh, is elevated beyond that, beyond all those um, is because this is um, a teacher, a one who brought uh, according to their view, and I agree uh, detailed instructions on the way from here to absolute freedom. I mean, the freedom of eighth density. What's that? Well, <laughs> it's a pretty big deal. And so, the life of Gautama, the life of Nityananda, I think, reveal what that looks like a little bit. And so that's why Gautama is number one. The Tathagata, the thus come one. Because uh, there's something <laughs> very special about what Buddhism brought to earth, or what Gautama, Siddhartha Gautama brought to earth. Nobody else has, you know, or it's uh, the Hindus did to some degree, um, but not as central, I'd say, a path 
uh, based teaching. Uh, Buddhism does have no interest in magical powers and rarefied states of consciousness. Hinduism has a whole lot of attachment to magical power, rarefied states of consciousness, uh, uh, conditions of formlessness, um, uh, not uh, inadequate dissolution (laughs) or apparent dissolution into unity, formlessness, um, eternity, Godhead. Um, Yes, uh, a freedom, moksha, mukti, is taught in Hinduism. And there's a heck of a lot of attachment to high states of consciousness as well as magical powers and paranormal experience. That is not found in Buddhism. So, then after this presentation, this statement of um, the great gift of what what is offered is the Buddha himself and all he did, then there's a discussion of Dhamma. And so, uh, verses 4 and 5 about Nibbana and then uh, the state of Samadhi that precedes Nibbana. And so, uh, the, uh, just a second. Unfortunately, Tanisara didn't number his verses, which is understandable because they're not original, but it's helpful. So, four and five, discussing Nibbana and the state of Samadhi, it may be actually fourth jhana, as I said before. Uh, deep equanimity with the capacity to think and investigate. What's really done, and and Bhikkhu Bodhi explains this very well, he's very, very well taught, and so Bhikkhu Bodhi has three nearly one-hour presentations just on Ratna Sutta. I strongly recommend it, I've learned a lot from it, I like him a lot, I met him personally, and uh, you can't go wrong with Bhikkhu Bodhi. He's He's not to Buddha or Nityananda, but he's a really fine man and did great work and is uh, teaching upstairs at the present time, <laughs> which is helpful. <clears throat> the, lots of confederation groups need help, uh, for sure. Uh, but his rundown of um, Ratna Sutta is excellent, and uh, he explains that the heart of the jewels that are of the of Dhamma. There's, so the jewel, three Ratna, three jewels, three treasures is Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Two is Bud is Dhamma, but the heart of Dhamma is twofold, at least here, which is the Dhamma of the reality of Nibbana, and the Dhamma or the teaching of the reality of the state of mind that leads to Nibbana. And that again is really quite different than Hinduism. And any other tradition, I mean, there there are other Sunni. The Sufis had a pretty sophisticated um, meditative um, teaching body or body of teaching associated with meditative practice. I think, but I'm not. I've just not got into it. So how deeply they or any? I mean, Hindus have it have it very profoundly. Advaita Vedanta or uh, other yogic based. Um, individual practice-based Hindu um, yogas, right? Uh, Ashtanga yoga, the Eightfold Yoga, uh, some of those 
uh, have a very detailed explanation of meditative progress. But again, there's a whole lot of attachment uh, to high states. I mean, that was the point where Gautama left the three, the four teachers before he went under the Bodhi tree and uh, achieved awakening by himself. They were teaching him the highest of what was known in Hinduism, presumably at that time, which were basically higher jhanas, formless jhanas, not Nibbana. So there really is a fundamental difference between Buddha Dhamma and other teachings Dhamma. Now, those two jewels, or what's the heart of Buddha's Dhamma, is the teaching on Nibbana, and then um, sati, or mindfulness-based samadhi, concentration, non-grasping attentiveness, uh, the meditative mind that um, at a certain point no longer remains confined to meditation, meaning the mind that's concentrated and clear and quiet with equanimity and peace and some clarity and light um, is surely uh, not limited to periods of meditation. I remember once long ago, <laughs> I was finished the meditation and um, noted my state of mind, uh, akin to equanimity, uh, at that point, and stood up, as is normally done after a period of sitting meditation, and realized, ah, look, it's the same state I had while sitting. Hmm, aha, uh -huh. there's no barrier between um, the state of mind attentively, this is not trance, it's basically mindfulness and samadhi, to some degree equanimity, when sitting uh, that uh, is, is quite doable when standing up and walking around. Um, and that's quite a, a greater achievement, which I haven't completed, <laughs> but uh, one can be that way all the time. And that's akin to verse 5, um, the path, the, the state of samadhi that leads to nibbana as associated with Noble Eightfold Path or right concentration, uh, right samadhi, samasamadhi, the path which unfailingly brings concentration and that concentration, um, this what's called unmediated knowing by Tanisaro, uh, called the, he wrote in note, note one, this is apparently equivalent to the liberation of immediacy or the um, the condition of mind associated with immediacy in liberation or right near nirvana. The concentration that's the fruit of gnosis mentioned in some other suttas and Bhikkhu Bodhi explains that at length as well. But, you know, he's not finished, and I'm not finished, so we have <laughs> limited understandings. You'll see that in his talk, too. Um, he's not finished, I'm not finished, we all have our limits. Um, no equal to that samadhi can be found because other traditions don't understand Nibbana. Now, I think Advaita Vedanta does in Nibbana, I mean, uh, Nityananda and Ramana Maharshi do. I wouldn't put them any lower than Gautama, frankly. Others I just don't know. But it is really true that uh, Buddhism has mapped out the meditative path in great detail, associated with eight stages, the eight trances or jhanas, eight or nine, 
associated, uh, particularly the first four, as um, states of knowing or states of mind that progressively lead to the immediacy of being able to um, perceive, it's uh, to basically experience the deathless. It's not the deathless is um, beyond thought. It's not of the five skandhas. It's not of uh, it's not a, it's not of perception. Uh, sankara, uh, some uh, uh, the the fourth samskara or sankara um, composited, fashioned, fermented mental process thinking, basically thinking, feeling, imaging, uh, imagining, remembering, visioning, uh, conceiving. Um, all of that is fourth skanda. Uh, the deathless is not that, or not of that, nor is it even of pure consciousness, which is the field in which uh, activity of mind occurs. Uh, the deathless nibbana reality, or um, the end, <laughs> the end of the path, is uh, essentially um, an experience of what's beyond the five skandhas. What is uh, what is greater than consciousness and mental activity? Certainly greater than body. So you can call it spirit, but it's in the raw metaphysics. It's really beyond higher self as well. Higher self is still of a, of a certain stage of consciousness, and it's not finished. As Ra said, as I've said many times, Ra only when they get to seventh density will be free of memory and identity, or self subjectivist identity, uh, sankara samskara, composited, fashioned, fermented, thought-based, subjectivist identity, finished, and apparently linear past, present, future memory and imagination associated experience of time or a temporal experiencing, experience uh, associated with temporality, meaning past, present, future, a sense that I'm here in the present, I'm not in the past or the future, that is wiped away in seventh density as well. So, <laughs> it's a whole lot more than uh, a moment of bliss, or getting in touch with my spirit guide, or having higher self say hi, or useful guidance. I mean, all those things are useful. Um, but we're talking about something beyond, um, beyond all mental activity, including... Uh, consciousness or subjectivism itself. That's the deathless. So, um, two verses, therefore, on the heart of Dhamma, and then several verses on the heart of Sangha. Eight persons being four, those that have had four attainments, and then those who are nearby, uh, they deserve offerings. That's true, also. I mean, if you, I remember I met a Thai monk on the way back from Thailand to Taiwan years ago and I was just very happy to help him he didn't deserve it <laughs> I could see he was a little bit of a funny fellow I could see but uh, I was in a certain state of mind I was like oh let me carry your bags let me help you and he, he knew he didn't deserve it he knew it and I could see he didn't he felt embarrassed that I was so I wasn't fawning but I was very excited to help him like, yes I can help a monk yes I can help he, he was a senior monk, but he uh, had some distortions, I could see. 
and I think maybe he knew I could see. <laughs> so he wasn't happy with me being so so helpful or so enthusiastic to help him. But um, it's akin to this appreciation of those that have gone beyond us. I mean, who the hell can help you <laughs> but one who's beyond you? Huh? Who can help me but, but what I don't know yet? You know? I mean, <laughs> people are so arrogant. Many people, many humans, certainly 3D Earth humans are often arrogant. Those in power, not, not ordinary folk generally, but those that uh, are at higher positions of the social uh, ladder. Um, but, you know, you can't, you can't really, you can't learn unless you open to that which you don't know. You can't heal unless you open to the pain not yet released. You, you can't find guidance unless you're associating with people and sources of information that are beyond your current level of development. Me too. You, me. Same. Of course. So, um, Gautama said, uh, the root of discernment karmically is uh, long habit in going to the, going, seeking guidance from the wise and the worthy. Long habit of going for guidance to the wise and the worthy on what's to my long-term welfare and benefit and what's not. And it doesn't mean uh, we can do it all the time or we don't want to do it all the time. Okay, sometimes I want to you know, do what is not optimal or ideal, okay, fine, and I'll experience the karma and the karmic return, which may not be very big anyway, fine, I'll take my time, so, okay, but it's good to know the path, <laughs> and we really have to have the realistic humility, or the humility based in realistic perception, discernment, that there are people and teachings of beyond us, and there's much, 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 much for us to keep learning, and all of what we know is minuscule. You know, Ross said, understanding is not of your density. So all of the essential questions we haven't answered, most of which we can partially answer, but not fully, but the critical ones will all be answered when we leave. I think that's true. So this notion of uh, deserve offerings, yeah, yeah, they deserve help. <laughs> the ones that have gone through the pain that we haven't yet gone through and um, therefore uh, experience and enjoy a greater light than we enjoy and a great clar greater clarity, a greater heartfulness, a greater balance, a greater healing. Those that have that worked for it. They suffered for it. They paid the price and now they enjoy the fruit. And so that's what is given to them bears great fruit is the, is the verse or the statement, I think it's absolutely true. And so then, <clears throat> um, some of these comments on Sotapanna, um, just to bear in mind that Sotapanna, and, and Bhikkhu Bodhi explains that, and it, it's uh, helpful for me. And um, let's just see what we got, 20 minutes left. Uh, Sotapanna is no pure moral guy or gal, uh, Sotapanna has cleared out um, three fetters <clears throat> on the Wikipedia page. It's a critical point, um, and it really is, it's certainly akin to Ra talking about contact with intelligent infinity, clearly. It's clearly associated with uh, experience of unity, selflessness, 
uh, non-localization, meaning not like I'm in my body or now I go to another dimension I'm there talking to some you know, master or magician. Not like that. It's actually um, uh, it, it, it's a freedom from confused confusion. <laughs> that it's a freedom from wrong view and mistaken conduct in a basic way uh, that Sotapanna experiences. Certainly, it's more than just a moment of bliss or unity or selflessness. And so. It's surely a kind of contact with intelligent infinity. You can say it's a contact with intelligent infinity or Shiva Shakti union or full achievement temporarily of an un, uh, unobs- non-obstructed channel from root to, to crown, from red ray chakra one to violet or white indigo, or violet seven chakra, crown chakra, from root chakra to crown chakra, one to seven, red to violet or red to white. Uh, It's a moment of that for sure, Shiva Shakti Union, but it occurs in a Buddhist um, context. And so it it is not the same as um, a generic contact with intelligent infinity or unity or selflessness or experience of non-dimensionality or something. Because the three fetters are critical to um, the the nature of the experience, or, or what um, Sotapanna is different than others, and so on the Wikipedia page to review, three fetters broken are self view, clinging to rites, rituals, and skeptical doubt about Buddha Dhamma Sangha, uh, and <clears throat> it's not bad actually what they wrote here about self view. The other two are pretty simple. But self-view, the view of substance or what is compounded, sankata, that's Hindu, or Sanskrit relating to Hinduism, I think, could be eternal in the five aggregates and thus possessed or owned by as I, me, mine. Sotapanna doesn't have view about self. Actually, Sotapanna knows that all views are mistaken because what I is is transconceivable, period. What I is cannot be said to be in the body, outside the body, in and outside the body, neither in nor outside the body, all that talk is shit, <laughs> says the Zen master. Yes, that's why they, you know, the, the student says, I am Buddha, and he gets hit. Mind is Buddha, he gets hit. No mind is Buddha, he gets hit. Why? Because those, uh, from a, from someone who hasn't experienced it, I mean, somebody who has experienced it may say those things, and there is a very famous teaching in Chan Buddhism, mind is Buddha, or no mind is Buddha. Uh, presumably spoken by those who've experienced that. Meanwhile, there are a lot of people who, I mean, all of us to some degree, are stuck in conceptualizations of identity. And so self-view is a conceptualization of identity. Um, So Tapana knows that no conceptualization is reality. It's a add-on. It's a filter. It's a construct it's a false scaffolding upon reality. It's a frame and empty space. It's uh, an artifice. And so uh, views of identity are artificial. They are of artifice and synthetic uh, and essentially false and illusory or empty. So there's an apparent self by the sense of self. But essentially self is sunya or anatta 
Sunya empty, empty of um, of the five skandhas. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, what I is is beyond conception, and and that's a very critical point. So, um, and this point they make here, uh, Sotapanna doesn't actually have a view about self. That seems right to me, as that doctrine is proclaimed to be a subtle form of clinging. And that's that's the point. Um, views of self represent clinging uh, to conceptualization or belief. And and so we, we saw this long ago. Somebody asked a monk, what's your view then? If you say that, <laughs> you know, the, the deathless is beyond conceptualization, what is your view? And their view is something like all that uh, is subject to cessation is subject to origination. Everything that dies is born. Everything that's born is dies. Everything arises, passes away. All is arising, persisting, decaying, passing away. That's our view. <laughs> Which is basically a pretty simple, straightforward view of um, non-enlightened uh, experience or non-enlightened phenomenal uh, personal experience. Non-enlightened experience of phenomenal existence. Meaning... Stuff comes and goes. Stuff comes up and goes away. Uh, arising, persisting, decaying, passing away. Birth, old age, sickness, and death. That's it. And that's so pretty simplistic. <laughs> um, meanwhile, there's something beyond that. That's called the deathless. It's not born, therefore doesn't die, doesn't arise, doesn't pass away. Uh, and so plunge into the deathless um, and enjoy the liberation you've gained and so the Sotapanna, like an Indra pillar, is um, strong. <laughs> but it is true that there are seven more fetters that the Sotapanna has not gotten through. The Sotapanna is still subject to grasping and aversion, subject to ignorance, obviously, uh, clinging or craving to change mental, emotional states or uh, formlessness and non-becoming still has some basic conceit, mistaken selfhood or sense of self. Delusional selfhood to some degree remains, even though they know all views are false, and restlessness, and basic avidya. So, Sotabana has a long way to go, but to a certain extent, um, they're solid in these three attainments, um, and therefore, the third skeptical doubt, it's really that the, the Sotapanna has no more doubt that, that the Buddha Dhamma is what it claims to be, and that Buddha has attained what he claimed to, and that uh, either the Sangha is a decent place to do this work, or the true Sangha of the eight pair, the eight level, the eight, the eight one, the eight... Um, categories of disciple, those who have attained the four levels and those who are proximate, that's a pretty good group. <laughs> that's pretty good. And um, it's as it says it is. And those levels, those achievements are possible, and some people have made them. And one can see them. And those higher levels, particularly second and third, evidence a far... A, profound, natural, and effortless morality, harmlessness, uh, love-wisdom development, uh, clearance of lower triad blockage, healing of the personal psychological, 
and um, a morality or harmlessness, non-grasping, non-aversion, non-anger, non-greed, uh, and clarity. Uh, that is a tangible, <laughs> remarkable, notable, uh, obvious for those with eyes to see. They really show it. And um, it is as it says it is. That's what uh, that, that's, uh, freedom from doubt looks like in this understanding of one of these fetters broken by Sotapanna. And so there, that, that even though that person still, the Sotapanna still does grasping and aversion and all sorts of things and may have lower triad blockage for sure and imperfect love wisdom and balance, lack of balance, imbalance and all sorts of other stuff. They're, they're, they got a long way to go but it, they have no more than seven more lifetimes in the octave. <laughs> That's a very big deal. Uh, and um, this next stanza about heedlessness let me see where it is here in the Piyadasi numbering number nine even though they may be exceedingly heedless exceedingly heedless he wrote although Tanisaro didn't write exceedingly he wrote make them heedless they come to no eighth state of becoming, meaning no, only seven more rebirths in the seven-dimensional situation in Triloka. Generally, um, I mean, you know, <laughs> there are a number of late six-density wanderers here on Earth who have had Sotapanna in past lives and are closer than the rest of uh, the late six-density groups in the border harvesting into seven or seven-eight. Uh, yeah. That's true. Uh, so, it's a big deal. And, and um, <clears throat> so they may be heedless, <laughs> uh, but they have no more doubt in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And they know that these teachings are real and true. And they have some joy. Hey, hey, they enjoy the, fir the, the fruit of the first level of liberation. Um, the, the breaking of uh, Sakyaditi, Sakayaditi, Sakayaditi meaning self-view, the breaking of that first fetter is a very big deal and leads to a great well-being when you don't have to protect yourself because there's no solid self to protect. When you don't uh, feel that there isn't this, this repeating self-conflict, self-conflict, self-struggling. Um, I left my windows open so little creatures are flying around here. Oh, he just went out. Good job. Uh, freedom from self-view, sakayaditi, <laughs> as far as I know, um, is, is having cut a certain root of self-conflict, self-blame, self-criticism, self-punishment, harsh self-conduct or treatment, because there's a real sense Ah, self is just a thought. Ah, this this I cannot be understood by thought. This I is not localized in the body, nor nor external to the body. We can't really say what it is. <laughs> there's a, there's a very big spaciousness to mind or this yana consciousness uh, that comes from the elimination of any belief in a solid, separative center point to experience. Uh, I is not a solid, separative center point to this experience. This is a very big deal. <laughs> uh, 
And as far as I know, what the hell do I know? But that's what I know. Or what I think I know. Uh, and so, although Satavana may be heedless and um, get involved, you know, in folly, uh, they abandon three things, identity views, uncertainty, and attachment to habits and practices, right? Rites and rituals. Um, they are no longer to be reborn in four states of woe. The four states of woe, as I said, is uh, hell realm, hungry ghost, wandering, um, animal, and asura. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they may not experience pain. <laughs> they would. They will. Because they're not finished with um, seven chakra development. And they still have grasping and aversion and, um, you know, imperfect selflessness or imperfect freedom from delusion, obviously. Incapable of committing the six great wrongs, which is basically killing your parents, um, killing an arahan. You can't kill a Buddha, but you could wound him or try. So, uh, killing mother, killing father, killing Arahant, wounding Buddha, causing schism in Sangha, and choosing anyone other than Buddha as one's foremost teacher. I think that we might get a pass on Nityananda. So, um, those wrong actions or very serious uh, karmic liabilities are not going to happen. But particularly, um, and and... Bhikkhu Bodhi explained this at length, bringing in a couple of other suttas where Gautama compared the attainment of Sotapanna with um, uh, dirt under his fingernail or <laughs> little compared to great, basically saying that the, the, the attainment of Sotapanna is of massive great importance and value for that entity in their path of development compared to ordinary folk. Uh, and I think that's absolutely true because uh, particularly they're not going to be reborn in a state of woe but they're only have seven more lifetimes in the octave according to the theory and there are three states of there are three levels of Sotapanna and that's a whole other matter the the sort of slow, moderate and quick-witted uh, awakener to the deathless first stage Sotapanna but every single one of them even the slowest of the Sotapanna and Bhikkhu Bodhi makes this point very well even the dullest-minded seeker who achieves Sotapanna is light years ahead of ordinary folks who haven't hit Sotapanna. And um, you can't force it. You can't pull up the sprout and make it a full-blown crop. You have to wait for uh, the rain and the sun and time and nourishment and natural growth which means, you know, regular study, practice, and service. And that includes self-love and discernment and care and healing and um, morality and harmlessness and right speech, right action, right livelihood, and and um, developing practice, obviously. And then when the time is right, opening happens based on uh, countless conditions. Uh, and then finally, the last point <coughs> about Satipana was um, they can't hide their incapability. The, the, they can't hide their um, transgressions. <laughs> and incapability ascribed to one who has seen the way, said uh, Tanisaro. Uh, in, and so, uh, incapable of concealing it, such concealing is impossible for one who has uh, seen the path. 
So uh, Satipana is is um, getting the Dharma eye, seeing the path Dhamma Chakka, uh, seeing the wheel of Dharma, or seeing Dhamma directly by gnosis, by realization, by a um, transcendental uh, aware recognition, um, where. In the experience, one can't say one is perceiving something. In the experience, there is no subject-object dichotomy, duality, perceiving a thing. It's actually a freedom from the operation of the whole five skandhas temporarily. It's it's radically different. As far as I know, whatever I know, um, <laughs> it's there's a it's a radical discontinuity of anything that you know or could know or have ever known <laughs> and and it's trans it it really is trans conceptual or trans cognitive or trans consciousness trans subjectivist there is no it it's a, a temporary cessation of subjectivist experience meaning a subject meaning me versus you or me in our outer versus the outer subject object thing that is normally way we think or perceive or experience that isn't happening and that's a big deal and that's uh, that is a seeing of nibbana it's actually a first penetration and seeing nibbana is seeing the path that's a secret and so when you see the goal you see the path or when you see the goal you know that this path it works and um if you if you see the the the, the Polaris star, um, you can chart a tra- chart a path to it. You can chart the path or a path to it. So that's the importance of the the nature of this comment: seeing the path and seeing the path of nibbana, or seeing nibbana as seeing the path. And then finally, a couple of verses about Gautama or the Buddha again, um, as woodland groves. Through through early heat of summer month are crowned with blossoming flowers. Uh, no doubt, uh, a forest grows with flowering tops in the first month of the heat of summer. <laughs> the first burst of great flower beauty is Gautama. Uh, and so, <clears throat> uh, after that, um, more praise to Gautama as the one who knows the most, the one who gives the most, the one who brings us the most the one who teaches um, something that can't be beat, the way out of the octave. <laughs> What's a higher goal for those in the octave than attainment of freedom from the octave? Now, that doesn't mean we want to leave the octave or leave subjectivism or leave desire or leave relationship or leave delusion <laughs> or sukkah, which we feel is sukkah um, and not necessarily sukkah or even sukkah I still want... Uh, mildly distressing pleasure and I still have attachments. Sure. The only one who's finished with that is Arahan, or finished with the octave. So, we can't pretend, we, we shouldn't pretend to be without distortion and attachment and clinging and craving because we're not. We have it to some degree. That's why <laughs> if we didn't, we would be uh, you know, <laughs> we'd be Nichina, with Nichinanda and Katama, or with the Guardians in 8th Density, and we're not. So, according to this view, which I agree with, uh, the Gautama knows the most, gave the most, brought us all the most, and taught the foremost Dhamma, or way, or law, 
um, for soul evolution in the octave. It's not the only way. It's just the way. <laughs> There's only one way, which is transformation of my body spirit or seven chakras, of course, obviously. Seven chakras, seven energy fields. All that I appears to be or the vehicles of I must be fully transformed for this I to return to its source. That's just the one path out of the octave. Uh, but this is a quite clear teaching of the way. And so, um, uh, I think we get a clear sense of, um, first of all, what Ratnasutta is all about, and um, the heart of Buddhism being the three jewels of Buddha Dhamma Sangha, and the heart of Buddha being uh, what he brought us and what he knows, what he's achieved, and what he taught, teaches. What he teaches is Buddha Dhamma, or Dhamma. And the heart of that is Nibbana and Samadhi, or mindfulness-based practice that really leads to um, the capacity to experience or become the deathless or penetrate beyond uh, samsara. Struggling with mosquito. Oops, that's it. Say I still kill mosquitoes, so I'm clearly not Arahan. But only some of them. I don't go looking for trouble, only if they come looking for me. <clears throat> and, and and I feel sorry for mosquitoes too, actually. But but uh, I don't feel sorry for cockroaches. I haven't achieved that level yet. Maybe later. But but I'm getting there. So uh, the point is that that this is a big deal <laughs> to me. Buddhism, Buddha Dhamma is a big deal, and this sutta gives us the heart of what Buddha is all about. His knowing, his gift, is his teaching, and the heart of the teaching, particularly being. Um, mindfulness-based meditative practice leading to the capacity to see or know the deathless. And the Sangha being particularly those who've had the four attainments and those who are nearby. Being really, you just don't see it anywhere else. And even very few Buddhists know what we're talking about here, actually. And so, even monks and nuns who are moral and follow the patimokkha and uh, do well and are kindly people um, uh, don't necessarily may or may not be able to speak very well about um, the glory of, of Buddha Dhamma or, or have attainment many don't not even Sotapanna and so the heart of the Sangha though is those who have put this into practice teachings into practice and made realizations then finally, some further, just the uh, three final verses of uh, praise to Buddha Dhamma Sangha and um, paying homage or worship or reverence or respect or love and appreciation and gratitude uh, of the humans of the Chavi and the spirits there and the Sangha appreciating Buddha Dhamma Sangha and particularly those who have attained. And that's Ratna Sutta. And um, as was said last time, it's one of the protective suttas. It's uh, written here, um, the most famous of the Buddhist ward runes, Parita, the Buddhist protective suttas. And it's commonly what's recited um, when monks go to homes or um, opening ceremonies of something or other breaking new ground or starting something, an important venture. 
uh, because it's uh, a presentation of the heart of the heart of Buddhism, the the essence of Buddha and Dhamma and Sangha, and it's beautiful. So I hope this was helpful, and um, next week we will look into the next sutta on the line. Let me just see. Let me get this. Pull this page up. Next time, the title is Amaganda Amaganda Sutta. Raw stench. Hey, hey. Raw stench. And um, <laughs> Thanissaro puts that as um, ay, ay. Uh, Buddha enumerates the many treasure. Oh, no, no, sorry, sorry. People are defiled not by eating meat, but by engaging in evil conduct. And so. Uh, it will be controversial to the vegetarians and the vegans in the audience, if there are any. Uh, get a sense of where Gautama is coming from in terms of diet and um, the difference between food-based defilement and mind-based defilement. <laughs> what is defilement? Um, defiling your body you surely can do, but the body will fall away soon. 60 or 80 or 90 years uh, the mind will be taken with you, will not fall away and one can be a rage filled vegan or a self hating uh, pure foods eater or a depressed and sorrowful and conflicted and confused pure foods eater that ain't too good is it? <laughs> so we'll look into that kind of thing next week. So, um, that'll be all for today. Um, thank you for being here. Welcome back. Uh, Happy New Year. Um, I wish everyone well in this first week of 2020. Um, I do think that um, a lot of people are going to have to grow up this year. A lot of people kind of have to get out of infantile, infantile, infantilist tendencies of avoidance and self-distraction. And there are going to be some trouble coming at this. It's already started. It's already a Middle East war, folks. Okay? And it is nowhere near ending. It is just getting underway, as far as I can tell. And... Um, the other side of it, I imagine, is not anytime soon. Um, the killing of uh, Haji Qasam, or uh, Qasam Soleimani, the Iranian general, or whatever he was, uh, he was a lot of things, uh, but deeply beloved by them, by the Shia community. Um, that's going to lead to long-term consequences. It's it's just starting, and um, a lot of people are going to have to get out of childish ways this year and face reality. You know, be more willing to face bitter truths, let's just say, however they are, whatever they are. So, 
It is not happy. It is actually distressing. It's pure dukkha dukkha. Um, meanwhile, um, it's uh, end of third density, major collective civilizational crisis, death, rebirth, resurrectional experience, I think. So, with that heavy final word, um, that'll be all for today. So, I hope you're well, take good care of yourselves, see you next time, and good night.